welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the... 30-something-ish podcast. Podcast we've done. Uh, This one is a different kind of talk. No, it's still addiction and opioid, but I like your title. My title is, If Testosterone is Superman, Opioids Are Kryptonite. How long did it take you to come up with that? Uh, I channeled uh, Charlie Resnikoff and went for it. And he always has great names for his talk, so I went with that. And actually, you can't see the slide, but it's actually this robot opening his chest, and there's kryptonite, and it's making Superman weak. So anyway, I just look at you and you get weak because you know you know I'm far superior. Yeah, I, my <laughs> IQ is so low. So, um, so this is about opioid-induced androgen deficiency, and this is something that well, we just don't talk about. Uh, Men don't like to talk about their issues. Women are much more open. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, studies have shown over over the years is really that morphine, for instance, really induces this dramatic, long-lasting testosterone decrease. See how I went down on that? And so it may occur even after a few hours. And, and actually, it can reach catastrophic re- levels. That sounds great. Catastrophic re- levels, less than one nanogram per milliliter, hmm. very quickly. So, yeah, it's it's amazing. Okay, so here's my question. You know, you say in here testosterone levels recover in days after opioid discontinuation. Okay. Does that, do they have like a quantifier on there? Like if you've used... Like if you're in a methadone program or if you're on methadone for pain, which we, is a long acting opioid. We will talk about that. Like okay. how different things do it. Like how long it takes to come back. Or whether certain opioids make it worse. Oh, okay. So yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Try not to ruin my talk. We should probably just skip these next two pages because you don't know what they actually mean. Actually I do. And I studied this extensively. And really what this is all about, the thing to remember is that the hypothalamus puts out gonadotropin releasing hormone, right? That goes to your pituitary. And that, of course, makes LH, luteinizing hormone, which goes to your latex cells. And, well, that makes testosterone. And if it doesn't really make testosterone, you look a lot like me. You don't have much muscle. You got more estradiol. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but it's like, you know, I, I never got pecs and yes, stuff like that. Yes, men still have estradiol. But what happens is, is the opioids actually in that hypothalamus to gonadotropin releasing hormone, right between there is where the opioids slow it down and you just don't get that gonadotropin releasing hormone. So then you get more estradiol and that's why people on long-acting opioids get boobs. Uh, do you mean breast enlargement? Gynecomastia. <laughs> thank you for being more politically correct. Jeez. Yeah, that's part I can of the, say it because I'm female. Part of the issue. You can say that and, when you're And you know, this whole opioid-induced androgen deficiency is, you know, testosterone and DHT actually, you know, exert these biological effects on the androgen receptors, right? So what happens is really your total testosterone, if you look at your total, let's talk about total testosterone. 50% of that is actually attached attaching to sex hormone binding globulin, which is ACE, ACE, 
S H no S H B G B G whatever whatever don't and use his acronyms he doesn't even know what they mean. Katie made this stuff so small I can't read it. I should have my other glasses on, and and forty eight percent of it is actually bound to albumin, and one to two percent is free. So one to one to two percent of your testosterone is just floating around single, hanging on, just doing what it wants to do. Unless you're current, you have nothing single about you. Yeah, and so really the S H B G is very tightly bound to the testosterone, okay? And so it's functionally unavailable to, to the cells, really. Kind of like an unavailable. I do like emo- that. You had me at emotionally unavailable. But isn't that yeah. like every guy? Yeah, it was like, it's like an emotionally unavailable guy. That's Which is testosterone like, bind to H. It's like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, SHBG. So it's functionally unavailable to the cells. And testosterone is actually only weakly bound to albumin. So it's really easily dissociated, mm. right? I have a question. Yes. This is where I get way smarter than you. Okay. So people who have alcohol use disorder have low albumin historically, like severe alcohol use disorder, have low albumin. Does that mean their testosterone can get higher? And if they have alcohol use disorder and opioid use disorder, they actually have more free testosterone because they don't have any albumin to bind to the testosterone? You lost me at alcohol use disorder. Um, I'm just saying. But I think if you look at that group and you've got obvious gynecomastia in some of those groups, they have low albumin. And so you don't have much bound. And that's the testosterone. But if you don't have as much bound, then you have more free testosterone, which is better. No, not necessarily. Well, I'm just guessing. So let's move on. So opioid-induced androgen deficiency, again, it's also age-related. Sadly, uh, it declines. Serum testosterone decline as you get older. Okay, Kurt. You're almost 60. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot, but here, here's the key. There's wide. And that's inter- why he doesn't like my kids who are like 10 and 8, my boys, because Shush. he's jealous. <laughs> um, so wide, there's wide inter-individual variation. So in general, total and free testosterone is decreased with age, but not with every guy. So it's some of the guys are, uh, you know, completely, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem. Oh my gosh, I love this next chart she put in here. Yeah, that's it really cool. It compares men my age to you. Like how he's got a cane to get up off the chair when he's 60. That's yeah, amazing. he's leaning forward. It's a Even 60, the 55-year-old has a cane. Yeah, there's a 60-year-old with a cane. <laughs> but if you look at guys who are 75 years old, right, their total, total testosterone is about 67% of men age 20 to 30, okay? But the free and albumin testosterone, the active component, is actually only 40% of uh, young men. So that's the problem. So, so, so look so, at, so again, when you talk about low albumin, right? And you've got that, yeah. you've got the lower amount of testosterone that's actually hooked to the albumin, which is the kind that dissociates easily. Right. So, yeah. so <laughs> I don't understand a couple things then. That doesn't necessarily mean why, that I have the answer. This is why there should be more cougars unless, you know, women who go for older men because if they're cougars then they have younger men and then they have better testosterone and be much more advantageous for I think the older women. I think we've moved in an area that we should not discuss. So no, anyway, I just think like if we're talking about testosterone man, we got to like look at the younger men ladies. Yeah, so let's talk about the circadian <laughs> rhythm. That as you get older for men is actually lost. Now they say elderly men, I don't know what that is. It's probably 75 55. to 85. And if you look at I think this is the interesting part of it, though. If you look at the effects of testosterone deficiency on male sexual dysfunction, it's actually somewhat linked to decreased sexual interest. 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 interest but actively, you know, this actively declines with age, obviously, right? Um, but the, <laughs> I like how you say obviously, like you know, you, you understand that personally. But, but if you look at the erectile dysfunction rate, it's about 25% at age 65, right? So probably 
younger, much lower. But it's interesting if you look at the prevalence of low serum testosterone in that age group, it's roughly around, in, if you look at people with erectile dysfunction, only 6% have low testosterone. So I think there's this tendency for us to check a total and free testosterone in the clinic. But it's not necessarily the thing. It's not necessarily linked to erectile dysfunction. No, but it's still, the interest though is not erectile dysfunction. Correct. So it's interest like, may decrease, but the testosterone may not be completely linked to ED. What does it then cause from? That's a totally wow. different talk. It's a, you know, basically erectile dysfunction is, is kind of that clear association with aging. <laughs> I love that word, association with aging. But but it's not a consistent correlation of total testosterone levels with erectile dysfunction, right? So there's, it's not a, if you've got this, you've got this problem. So you all thought this was an addiction talk. So we are now going to get into that, I yeah, hope. Yeah, we're going to finally, you know, you got to get the, I got to build the foundation here so we can dance on it. So, that's oh, a bad thing. I'm so, sorry, it's hard to not laugh at that when we're talking about testosterone. Yeah. So let's just remember that that opioid-induced androgen deficiency, again, it's that opioid negative, uh, you know, it basically inhibits that whole hypothalamus giving us the gonadotropin-releasing hormone. And so I think that's the, the one thing that you have to kind of link to. Now, opioids and things like morphine, for instance, if I give morphine to somebody, I get this 5-alpha reductase and P450 aromatase expression, right? So that's what ha- that now this is this is complicated but hang with me. You get it, one of the problems with that is morphine doesn't just slow down the gonadotropin releasing hormone. It also affects the metabolism this way. So, so it metabolizes testosterone faster. Correct. And so it's not just slows one the thing. production and, and eats up it while it's there. Yep. So, so I think it's a double whammy, it's a double whammy. And I think if we pull, if you learn anything from this whole talk, people, it's that it's two different ways that, that opioids really wreck you. And those are the two ways. Um, actually, if you look at most of the studies on opioids that have been done on patients, as far as looking for, um, sexual dysfunction, it's really mostly been on intrathecal opioids or on heroin, uh, patients. Right, so people use heroin. Um, some of the recent studies have shown some of these issues with people taking oral opioids, but the number of studies is actually very low. And I really had to look around. Maybe we should make this two talks because then it can be like the build oh, <laughs> before okay. the explosion, if you will. Yeah, and I think that part <laughs> of the problem here is that there aren't those prospective randomized controlled clinical trials. They've, they're just not there. Do you think that's maybe? I'm just I'm just trying to postulate here because I think we could definitely make this two talks, but. Um, men, so we don't have to talk so fast. No, um, I want to talk fast, but because men aren't going to like voluntarily join a study like this because that can uh, be embarrassing to them. But we have studies coming up. Oh, okay. But sorry. let's talk about some of the prospective studies that were done. And actually, in two thousand and two, Roberts et al. did one, and that was all on intrathecals, right? So they showed that the HPG axis actually within a week was affected, right? Patients that's already, the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal trophin. Yeah, so axis. already they were decreasing their. their their gonadotropin releasing hormone. That so then quickly. the question though, if it's if it's intrathecal, is that more influential because it's literally going right it it, it bypasses that blood brain barrier. Oh, hang on, I got more. So a second perspective study in two thousand four was actually done on cancer survivors. Right, ninety percent of these people are on opioids, but and they were and this is oral, uh, and they were hypogonadal, uh, but only forty percent of the uh, control group were. So okay, we know so that. They- we know that even oral can decrease that gonadotropin 
releasing hormones. So this is a really small study, though, because of those 40, some were on opioids and some were not. So let's just say 20 of each. Yeah. So Oh, hang on there. I got more. Four of them were not hypogonadal who were on opioids, but like, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's more. So it's just important to understand that there's been multiple studies that have actually shown that direct correlation between testosterone deficiency and chronic opioids. So, I mean, that's there. We got that. And, but I think you could ask yourself before we move to one of the better studies that's more recent is, hey, what about women? What about women? We're like way too multifunctional of well, able. So. Yeah. I mean, women have testosterone. So women, opioids, and testosterone, well... It, they do get decreased testosterone as well, as well. And, and actually it's very underdiagnosed. And I would have to tell you, I, you know, I have a few chronic opioid patients uh, that are women, and this doing this talk has just kind of woke me up. I need to check them as well. Their constellation of symptoms can be very similar. And uh, sadly, this phenomenon is, I think, rarely really thought of for women. So I think that's important. Yeah, because women are never really, we're always kind of like the back burner. Yeah. emotionally and anything. Yeah. And sadly, the, the next, one of the studies I'm going to talk about later is actually a, a VA study. It was all men. And so it's always all I know, men. I know that's the first, that was the bad part. of That's it. why it's nice that we now have a, like a, a pre, vice president elect who's a female. Yeah. And so let's talk <laughs> a little bit about the opioid induced androgen deficiency as opposed as kind of juxtaposed to like the dose. Is so does size matter of the, the you size know, dose. of the pill? It, uh, that's interesting. It's interesting that if they, as they've looked at different patients on opioids, the threshold dose in MMEs where you will get gonadotropin releasing hormone decrease is unknown. Uh, they think there's a correlation of the higher doses, but man, they don't know. So it's not the size of the pill itself, it's the dose, just so y'all don't get confused. Yeah. I mean, the dose may matter, uh, but there is not a study that shows that. That's because no one in their right mind is ever going to say size matters. Yeah. And I think that if we look at retrospective studies, uh, there are some that in people that are greater than 100 MME, um, it's it's likely somewhere around that range that people feel that it might make a difference. Which is, I mean, that's good though, because that's like where the, you know, 90 is where the, the, the CDC guidelines say. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just all stick with 90. And, yeah. and yeah. of course, the, the other question would be, well, how long do you have to take it before you have this problem? And again, there are some studies with intrathecal that within a week they're showing this. And, and there are some with actual oral um, opioids that show it's probably about a month that the HPG access starts to get affected. Mm. Um, but it may happen as early as a week. So you're on the opioid prescribing workup. You should use that as one of your points now because you're kind of talking about that transition. And so that, you know, we're yeah. going beyond the acute to subacute. Oh, That's well, just another argument to not go on opioids for yeah. over a month. Yeah, we're going to mess people up. Um, and, of course... I think the other question would be, hey, what happens if you stop the opioids? Uh, and, and I think that it's reversible. I mean, there have been studies that have shown that... Don't uh, stop cold turkey. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> uh, but as people get tapered off, uh, their, their serum testosterone is actually within days start to improve. And so it's, uh, that was something that was done by Finch et al. It's actually in the Clinical uh, Journal of Pain uh, back in 2002. And he showed that, yeah, people will get this back. Hmm. So I guess the other question would be, let's say you have somebody who needs opioids, Dr. Bell, and they need to be on them long-term. Is there a benefit to testosterone replacement? What do you think? Um, I would guess no, only mm. because opioids negatively impact a lot of other... I mean, if you're giving it, it's obviously going to... You're still going to increase the metabolism, but you're having exogenous, but it's not going to have any impact on the whole access. And I thought I'd get to say, and the student has become the teacher, but I guess I'm going to have to say the teacher remains the teacher. Um, and in fact... It does help. 
That doesn't mean you should do it. I know, but listen to this. This is amazing. If they're on opioids and they need them because they have that much pain, then they probably aren't necessarily. Wait till you hear the data. So um, here's what happened. They, they compared the health outcomes in long-term opioid users with testosterone deficiency who filled testosterone prescriptions and those with the same condition that did not. This was actually a VA study. And I don't know where that slide is, but it was in um, JAMA. Uh, JAMA, JAMA, right there, uh, 2019 in December. Yeah, I actually got my slides mixed up, so I'm going to go with that right away. Um, and and this was a, a study That's that a they did. a long time. They looked forever, six yeah. years. And this is a new study, 2019. And basically what they did in this study is they, they basically took all these male patients with total testosterone less than 300, and, and they really were trying to look at whether or not it made a difference. And this had a ton of patients, 21,000 patients, average age 53, so they were young. <laughs> and uh, 78% of these patients younger were, than you huh? were Caucasian. Uh, they weren't as good a shape. Uh, and actually, 14,000 of these were actually receiving testosterone, uh, while 7,100 did not. Okay, so right there, you have a, a bias study oh, stop. because two thirds got it, one third didn't. So there's a lot of different variability. I mean, two thirds to one third. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the study. Listen, but... statisticians work this out. Hey, you know what? So. It's a biased study. So here's what happened. Charlie, let and, us know. And sadly, again, these are all men. But in the people <laughs> the people who actually got testosterone replacement had statistically improved decreased major adverse cardiac events, decreased femoral and hip fractures, and less anemia. What are um, you even looking at? You're on a totally different page than I am. Oh, yeah. That's because I... Lower all-cause mortality, decreases adverse health outcomes. Yeah. I mean, things went well. And in fact, if you look at the numbers on this, their coronary artery disease was less. Their stroke was less by I don't see p-values. Uh, I didn't put all that in there, but it's the p-values were significant. I don't believe it. So, so basically, <laughs> all-cause mortality was improved. And I think that's the, the really important part. Okay, I have a question, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is, you know, men typically have more heart disease. At least that's what people say. You know, women have less heart disease until menopause, and then they're matched with men which presumably would be that whole testosterone link. So how come when you give testosterone to these old men, things get better, especially the cardiovascular? It seems like the opposite than what the American Heart Association says. I mean, it was interesting because they needed to be treated. For instance, those on testosterone had more obesity. uh, Statistically, uh, these were all statistically significant. They had more hyperlipidemia and more hypertension. Oh, so it was a bias study. So they needed to, I think these patients need to be treated, but if they are treated and giving testosterone, they have, again, less less osteopenia, okay, so less my, cardiac events, all of that. So okay, it's so better. it's okay to put them on testosterone, but only if they have more morbidity, like have more comorbid, you know, diagnoses. Because you're saying the people on testosterone are more likely to have all these things. So you put them on testosterone, things get better. Well, they already had worse beginnings, and then you put them on testosterone, so some of their things got better. But they already, I'm just I'm just being a devil's advocate no, right now. I'm just saying when they were on testosterone, they had those things. They had more obesity, more hyperlipidemia, more hypertension. And so clearly, those things might need to be treated to keep their all-cause mortality down. And I'm assuming, although it did not say this that I read, although... You know, I skimmed it pretty quickly. Um, I'm assuming that these patients were treated for those things. And if they're treated appropriately with the testosterone, 
and they're they're obviously obesity. Yeah, you got them on a diet stuff, but you know who follows a diet. Um, but if they had hyperlipidemia and hypertension, I'm assuming those things got taken care right. of. But I'm, I think I'm really totally think this study is cool. I'm just being devil's advocate right yeah. now to you. I mean, I think the biggest part. I mean, you look at uh, the death after a hip fracture. Hip fracture. I mean, it, the one year mortality that's high, right? So if we can have less hip fractures, less anemia, fewer feel better. Yep, that's an answer. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I was joking. Um, anyway, so yes. I, so I think that's important. That so is really, interesting, though, because I would never, I mean, I've had a lot of, not a lot, okay, I've had several patients, though, on chronic opioids, at least ones that I inherited. Like three. Right. But none of them were on testosterone, nor would I have thought, like, oh, we should maybe look at that. But should you check a testosterone level, though? Because if the testosterone that's bound to the albumin, you're not testing that. You're only checking the free. But yet the testosterone bound to the albumin is still available and usable. No, you need to check total and free by what they said. Gotcha. So, and But do you test them? Because if, I do. if you're looking at normal men who are not on chronic opioids, you don't just check a testosterone just to check it, just to put them on it. And even if you did check one, unless they have some type of symptoms that would tell you to put them on it. You don't just put them on it just based on a low number. Uh, and I would tell you that uh, there's a suggestion that testosterone replacement decreases all-cause mortality and decreases incidence of major adverse cardiac events, femoral or hip fracture, and anemia. So it's changed my practice doing this evaluation. I think, you know, I probably have five or six or seven uh, chronic opioid male patients and probably the same number of women. And so do you put women on it too? I got to look into that a little bit more. Um, th- again, the biggest study was VA study all men. Right. So, so that's, I mean, that's a great thing to. I think if there's a person out there who knows about a study on women, testosterone levels and treatment, hey, call me. Or opioid induced androgen effects, effects on women and how to treat that. But you can't deny this is interesting. It's, when it's I, super interesting. I mean, I was studying this and when I was looking through this, making this thing, I was like, this is incredible. Why have I been missing this? I, you know, I knew it caused low testosterone, but the all cause mortality thing is kind of made me think I'm checking. You're now going to have a line of people trying to get in to see you just to get their testosterone levels checked, regardless of whether they're on opioids or not. I mean, all the reading I did, I think I'm going to get my own, even though I'm not on. You opioids. probably should. Jeez, so, all cause mortality if it's low. I better. This get is why checked. we do a podcast and not a vlog. Yeah, I got somebody that's going to draw my blood right after this. Just it's to check. me. No, it's not. <laughs> so All right. I think that's it. So. I hope Battle Legs has something masculine. Like <laughs> yeah. maybe they need something feminine. <laughs> something with some testosterone, please. I will remember you. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed this talk. Will you remember me? Don't let your Cannot say a word We are screaming inside But we can't be heard I will remember you 